So today, some, I have some nostalgia for you. Nostalgia. Those of you that grew up in the groovy 60s and 70s, um, Tina Turner, uh, God rest her soul, passed away recently. I think this week, maybe. So I just put her famous song quote up there. What's love got to do with it? <laughs> that, could be, that could be the title of our message today. So we're going to dive deeper into the thoughts. These are the, some symbols of the 60s and 70s. Love, good vibes, keep smiling, groovy, be kind. I didn't know that. Cool, stay groovy. So let's start with the song came to mind. We'll start with a little bit of what the world needs now is more love, sweet love. Does anybody know who wrote that? You guys remember who Bert Baccarat is? Baccarat? Yeah. He passed away this year as well, about three months ago. So at the end of the message, I have a little clip of his life. If you guys want to hear a few more songs of his, you guys could stick around for that. So, yeah, today's title is A Fearless Moral Inventory. Doesn't that sound exciting? <laughs> I thought I'd start off with what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Because that's going to be the uh, foundation, the backdrop of a fearless moral inventory. The thesis of today's message is I believe that we really can't look at ourselves and, and take off all of our imperfections and be molded into God's image without an abundance mentality, without God's embrace, without the fear of shame. Okay, so that's the thesis. The, product, the story in the prodigal son's story in Luke 15 is a message of hope for the hopeless. For those that are chasing after the wind, the 60s was a summer of love where all we needed was love, looking for love, unfortunately, in a lot of wrong places. And that spurned the Jesus movement that we talked about. The Jesus uh, Revolution, if you haven't picked that up, you can see that probably on streaming now for a few dollars. It's a really good uh, a view of a lot of people coming to faith and the birth of contemporary Christianity, a lot of the songs that we sing. The story of the prodigal son describes our father who loves us. A God who has great abundance, who looks and waits and ready to reconcile, even while we were a long way off. Versus a God to be feared in a transaction, justice, or in our culture in shame. It parallels the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Step one is coming to admit of our sin nature, and two is having hope. The story explains that when we take the steps to true repentance, there is abundance, reconciliation, and restoration. The prodigal son shows us how to do it by exercising his faith. This is step three, actually going home, actually coming to grips with his reality. Turning hope into action, 
trusting God with the big and small things in our lives. So this brings us to step four. What are the big things in our lives? Well, replacing all our imperfections with holiness. This is what God wants for us. You know, we come to church, we come to faith, we sing about God's love, and we maybe put a little in the offering, we fellowship, and we go home, okay? But really, in reality, if we really come to faith like the prodigal son did, every year we should become a better version of ourselves. God should be replacing, right, all our imperfections bit by bit, year by year. Our lives, we should become more mature every day, every year. But unfortunately, it's sad. It is so sad that people come to faith and they just sit, stay stuck, stuck in our imperfections, our worldliness, coming to God with more of a scarcity mentality versus God's abundance. It's this step that's involved with the 12-step program that I believe we kind of need to look at. A scarcity mentality would just ignore our imperfections. I said earlier, you kind of know if you're in that mentality, if it dominates you, if you get a little bit of criticism, <laughs> right? What happens when we get criticism? The hair on our neck raises up, we get defensive, right? A scarcity mentality, I believe, in interpersonal relationships, it, it sounds like this. Oh, just ignore it. Just ignore those faults in the family, in our lives. Oh, forget about it. Let's not, let's not dig up old, old wounds, right? Let's just sweep it under the table. Why make a big deal out of it? It's just water under the bridge. Or in our Asian sensibilities, right? When people have passed on, why dishonor their memory, <laughs> right? If we're talking about generational sin, why dishonor their memory? And if you're steeped into Asian culture, you probably have, you know, some of your relatives in recent history have shrines to our relatives that have passed on. That's, that's um, the, how we honor you know, our elders, even when they're gone. But why dishonor their memory? They say that uh, deny, maybe we're just in denial of our generational sin, our the effects of sin in our lives. You know, Scripture says, right, sin passes on what? To the second and third generation, right? How, how prophetic is that when we talk about family of origin, generational sin? They say uh, denial is not a river in Egypt. That's a joke. Denial is not a river in Egypt. It's so much easier just to ignore generational sin in our lives. I believe that's why many cultures do not heal from generational trauma. But in an abundance, love mentality, 
God wants to replace these imperfections with holiness. That is the hope, the kingdom of God. We sang the songs of uh, Jesus conquered the grave. Well, that's nice. That happened 2,000 years ago. Well, for what? He conquered the grave to live and to give us his Holy Spirit and to set up his kingdom in our lives, in our lives. So we need to take a fearless moral inventory to get rid of all that stuff and start replacing it with God's kingdom. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says this about refiner's fire. You guys have heard that uh, term before. Refiner's fire, like as we purify gold that goes through the furnace. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. All right? We come to our faith. We work out our faith. We work on it. Okay, I'm going to get more real. The Bible gets more real. Ephesians 4.17 talks about taking off the impurities of the flesh and putting on God's character and spirit. It talks about getting rid of every kind of impurity. They are full of greed. Put off your old self, being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Speak truth truthfully. In your anger, do not sin. No more stealing. No more unwholesome talk. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. What are we to put on? The Bible speaks of these things. It's not vague. It's specific. As pure gold, a refiner's fire, Ephesians 4, be humble, gentle, patient. This is what it looks like, bearing one another's burdens in love, in unity, and peace. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Building others up, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ God forgave us. The Bible is specific of what we're to do when we come to faith, when we come home, when we come home as sons and daughters. God wants us to... God wants to purify us. The result of exercising our faith and following is described in Luke 15. But while he was still a long way off, the Father, our Father, is filled with compassion for us, runs to us, throws his arms around us, and kisses us. Really... I mind you, this is even while we're a long way off. I'm going to intersperse this message with some music. So think about these things. In the image of the prodigal son, this is a pandemic song of a worship band singing Draw Me Close to You. 
The prodigal son shows us the results of exercising his faith by returning, exercising. Step four, he shows us in verse 21 by confessing to his father. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And here's the guilt and shame. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Lewis, for the next one, can we pipe the sound through the front speakers, just like in worship? Is that easy to do? Okay, that's fine. Maybe you just crank it up next, next time. So imagine the guilt and shame the prodigal son was coming home with. Many of us are brought up in a shame-based culture where it's easy to just deny our faults and failings in our extended family and even in ourselves. And it's very hard to deal with. But scripture heals. 1 John 4.18. Nothing no more, more powerful than this. See, there is no fear in love. But perfect love dries out fear because fear has to do with punishment. But the one who fears is not made perfect in love. This dynamic is so well illustrated when the prodigal son comes home and is ready to be, take up residence in the service quarters just to be a servant. And the father runs to him and embraces him. And he confesses his sins. And he still says, this is what I have done. Take me back as a slave. He's ready for his punishment because of the fear. But what does the father give him and us? In verse 22, but the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. This is what God gives us. In this context, we can start to heal from our imperfections and bring it all, the good, bad, and the ugly, all our imperfections. God saves us even while yet, even while yet, you and I are sinners. God has found his treasure in us. He has found his precious sons and daughters returning. When we're humble, there's forgiveness, there's reconciliation, and there's the hope for restoration. Acceptance, celebration, there's the healing of shame. Forgetting our sins, Psalm 103, 12, as far as from the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. So this is step four of the 12-step program an honest and moral and fearless inventory. We made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. This is the step. Scripture backing this up. Let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. Lamentations. Search me, O God, if there is any wicked way 
in me. Here's a couple more songs. Psalm 51. Created me a clean heart, O Lord my God. The Bible speaks so much of love. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love dries out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. If you put in your Bible program, love is. It comes up in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. God, we come before you today anew, whether we've been a follower of you for seven days or 70, God. God, our hope and knowledge is that you have indeed conquered the grave and victory is yours over this evil world. God, you want to make this personal and you set up, want to set up your kingdom in each of our hearts, God. Your kingdom is not a nation. Your kingdom is not a city. Your kingdom is not a race, God. Your kingdom, you have broken down the temple. It is us individuals as we gather together. We are the body of Christ. God, your perfection is made in us. God, your desire is, is that you would refine our hearts, that you would refine the church here, redeem it, and make it pure and holy. God, without shame, only embraced in your love can we fully, honestly mourn reality of our old nature that you want us to put off and to put on. So God, fill us. Help us to draw near to you. You have told us if we draw near to you, God, you would draw near to us. And you run to us even while we're a long way off, God, to embrace us as your sons and daughters. So God, may this week, may you do a work in us and purify our hearts. Get it ready, Lord, knowing that in your embrace, there's no shame. Your desire is to be glorified. Your desire is to be glorified in my life, God. That's an amazing thing. So with all God's people said, amen. Let it be so. All right. Um, I'd encourage you to maybe start journaling this week a fearless moral inventory. And maybe in a, I don't know, a week or two, we'll have a little bonfire. Bring that with you, and we'll burn it up in the parking lot or something. But that's as far as from the east as from the west, that God takes away our guilt and shame and imperfections. All right, thanks for your kind attention. The premise of today's message, again, was... God's love for us. I really believe it doesn't happen 
We're not able to get rid of the good, bad, and the ugly in our lives, the worldliness, and replacing it with God's holiness unless we are secure in God's embrace and abundance in our lives, to know that we fully accepted, that there's no shame in our lives, that God wants to replace that with joy and celebration. So we're going to close with a refiner's fire.